welcome back to It's a Twin Thing. It's Aspen, the crankier half of the Summer's <laughs> Twins, and Ashley, the happiest half of the Summer's Twins. You could have just said happier. The happier half. I'm only happier, though, because I haven't done anything today, and you've done a lot of stuff. I'm only cranky because everything in my apartment building is out of order, and I haven't slept all week because the fire alarm is going off every night, and I was running really late for our podcast recording today, so I'm a little flustered, but I'm not really cranky. I'm happy to be here, and no, she is cranky, but then she's going to be made really happy by our inspirational in it for today. That's what I was going to say, is apparently the inspirational in it is going to cheer me up, so if anyone else is being cranky today, too, let's get right yeah, to it. Yeah, you're going to love it, except you might cry, so get out some tissues. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh, this one is so cute. I'm so excited about it. Okay, I'll tell you it. This story is from the Detroit Free Press, and it is about a shelter dog who kept escaping from the shelter there, which I'm a little bit surprised that this dog managed to get out so many times, but what happened was the first night it escaped, it somehow climbed over the fence, over two fences, and then entered the automatic doors of a nursing home across the street from the shelter, And when the nurses came in the next morning, they found the dog just sleeping on the couch of the nursing home. (laughs) And so they called the animal shelter who came back and got the dog. The dog's name is Scout, by the way. We'll call him Scout. And this dog was a stray. What the heck? Someone's practicing their trumpet outside of our recording studio. (laughs) Anyways, Scout was a stray rescue dog who had been abused in his past. And he was waiting at the shelter to be adopted, but he was taken back to the shelter after being found at the nursing home. And then a few nights later, the nurses came into the nursing home again and found Scout sleeping on the couch again. (laughs) And they were like, this dog must really want to be here. But they called animal control again and they took him back to the shelter But then a few days later, the dog went back to the nursing home in the middle of the night. (laughs) Would you think they might have, like, increased security for this dog so he didn't keep escaping? But for some reason, they didn't. They make it sound like the people at the shelter were treating the dog very well. So nothing against the shelter, but it was just kind of crazy that this dog got out three times. But also so adorable that he kept going back to the same place and just making himself at home on the couch. The third time it happened, the nurses at the nursing home decided that this dog must be meant to be with them. And the owner of the nursing home decided that they were going to formally adopt the dog to be the nursing home's dog. And now the dog lives at the Meadowbrook Medical Care Facility, which is a place for seniors who have memory issues or terminal illnesses. So it's a really great place to have a dog and the dog just brings so much comfort to these people and has found his new home there and everyone on the staff and who lives at the nursing home loves the dog and it makes the residents there feel like they're back at home. I just think that is the cutest little story ever. The dog just roams around the hallways of the nursing home now and he must have just really wanted to be there because he kept going back there and it's just the cutest story ever and it made me so happy and dogs are just so cute. I told Aspen the other day that I think the meaning of life is dogs and babies. I'm sure all of our listeners are really shocked to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, but I think this story just adds evidence to that. That was really cute. cute. Thank you for sharing. It kind of reminds me of something that Pumpkin would do. Like, I think he would just go into some place and sleep on the couch if he wanted to be there. Well, the first day that we got him, he wasn't supposed to be a furniture dog, and he kept jumping up on our couch, and we kept putting him down, and he kept getting back up, so it's exactly something that Pumpkin would do. Yeah, he's basically moved himself into my bedroom, especially now that I'm at college and I'm not home. I'm sure he's just sleeping in there with my stuffed animals all the time. I'm pretty sure our parents rented him out to somebody else while we're gone. Oh, I miss Pumpkin. We're going to see Pumpkin next week, and I'm so happy. Well, today is, as I'm sure you know, another episode of Twinspiration. What? I know. You're shocked. I am really grateful about the guests for this episode. Today we have on Brittany Braswell, 
who is a registered dietitian, and she is the host of the Joyful Eater podcast. She also runs a private practice where she focuses on a Christ-centered approach to eating disorder and disordered eating treatment, which she will talk a little bit about how those aren't the same thing and that anybody can have a disordered relationship with food, even if you don't have an eating disorder. So I hope that every single person will listen to this, even if you don't think that it's relevant to you, because I think that everybody can enjoy more freedom with their bodies and or with food. A lot of our listeners probably know that this is an important topic to me, but if you don't, I would first of all encourage you to go read my blog, How Vegetables Almost Killed Me. It is on our blog website if you don't know where it is. It's we'll also link to it in the episode yeah. description. Our blog is linked in every episode, so if you don't know that, then you should read it. To give you the nutshell version of my story, during COVID, I became a lot more involved in my faith because I joined a Bible study that was virtual, but part of USC, and I was really just wanting to get involved with something. I grew up Catholic, but I never really went to church or anything, and I really loved this Bible study, and I loved everybody in it, and I wanted to just do all of the really pious things that they were doing. So for Lent that year, I decided that I was going to really challenge myself and I wanted to become closer to God. And so I decided to give up processed foods for Lent. But as a vegetarian and a person who really loves snack food, that's pretty much all I ate. So I was pretty much living off of vegetables and pistachios. So I ended up losing some weight during Lent and then went back to eating normally, like candy and cookies and all of that stuff after Easter. But um, I was already a little bit underweight and then was not educated on the difference between weight gain and weight restoration, which there is a difference. Also, just my body had gone through a lot of changes because I was eating so much less. And so I was getting full really easily. And well, I don't know, give you a whole long story. But anyway, um, my eating habits changed a lot. And then I ended up losing a lot more weight. I started school, went on campus. Then I was hospitalized for malnutrition at an eating disorder recovery center. And it was really traumatic. Um, and then went on a really, really, really long road to gaining weight back. And so now I'm just really passionate about people nourishing themselves and understanding the importance of food and nourishment and not seeing food as something that is an enemy or should they should feel guilty about because Ashley and I talk about a lot that diet culture is such a problem in our society and we have both had experiences of being underweight it's not any more healthy than being overweight and life is not worth wasting your whole life thinking about food and I don't know Ashley am I making sense yeah can I add something yeah I would encourage everybody to listen to this episode, even if you think that it doesn't apply to you, or as Aspen mentioned, our guest talks a lot about her Christ-centered approach to disordered eating recovery, but I think that all of the principles that she discusses apply to you, whether or not you are a religious person or what your religion is, and I think most of our conversation was not specifically related to religion. A lot of people might not realize that they don't have the healthiest relationship with food. And I think that it's just really interesting to hear her perspective and hear about how diet culture kind of affects everybody's life. And some people don't believe that and don't agree with the things that she might be talking about. And that's okay. But I think that it is important for everybody to hear that and maybe start thinking about if you want to take some steps to have a little bit more freedom with your food choices and not be putting moral value on the things that you eat or taking up all of your brain space thinking about that. Because at the end of the day, ice cream is good and cake is good. Oh. Well, I don't really like cake, but <laughs> ice cream cake is yeah, good. Yeah, ice cream cake is good and Sour candy is good, Yum. and life is about enjoying it, and so we just want everybody to enjoy life. And I know that was a really long intro, but like I said, it's a topic that is really important to both of us. So I hope that you all will really enjoy this episode, and without further ado, here is Brittany Braswell. Hey guys, how are y'all? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. 
child. I have a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And so the five-year-old started, well, I guess technically he started last week, but it was a Thursday. So this is uh, his first full week. Last week was kind of just getting used to where to go to class and it's kindergarten. So nothing crazy, but yeah, it's been good. That's exciting starting kindergarten. It's like real school now. I know he loves it. He was telling me when I picked him up yesterday, he was like, mommy, this is way more fun than my preschool. I was like, well, I'm, I'm so glad. And he loved his other school too, but he's like, I don't want to go back. This is way better. So oh. <laughs> it's been a good start. Well, that is good. Well, I'm excited to talk with y'all this morning. I think we're ready to jump in if you are. Yeah, sure. Just to start off, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got started working in the nutrition field? Yeah, yes. So I am a registered dietitian. I specialize in a Christ-centered approach to a lot of like disordered eating, food freedom, negative body image. And I really got started because um, as an undergrad, I was... I had always been interested in healthcare, and after the first year of college, um, when I was really focusing more on like the medical side of things, I thought I really want to work on the sort of preventative health side of things, or so I thought. As I got going in school, I found a love for nutrition. I really enjoyed it. I'm a foodie at heart, and so I really enjoyed finding a field that was I felt like was really practical and hands-on, where it wasn't just teaching concepts. Like I could demonstrate things and give people practical um, education because everybody's got to eat. But the more I was in it, the more I heard a lot of, um, a lot of rigidity, a lot of, this is good. This is bad in nutrition. A lot of it was, this is healthy. This is unhealthy. This is what we should eat. This is what we shouldn't. And it wasn't that all of the information was necessarily incorrect, but it was just the way food was talked about to really moralize it. And so I, a couple of years, well, gosh, it's been almost four years ago now, I moved from an eating disorder treatment setting. So I, I got really interested in eating disorder treatment in grad school. That's a whole other story. And so I worked in a treatment center setting where I really got to just be in the trenches with all of my sweet clients, like Monday to Friday, and would get calls from the center on the weekend asking about uh, snacks and meals and can so-and-so have this? And how do we supplement this? I, I feel like I learned a lot. And at the same time, I got to see there's a big gap in what it looks like for someone to include their faith in the process because I kept seeing my clients that um, that really wanted to talk about that a little bit more and say, hey, I feel like my relationship with the Lord is strained or maybe I have this history of some spiritual trauma um, and it's really affected my relationship with food or the way I view my body. I started seeing how much of an impact that made. And so that led me to transition into my private practice where that is really my main focus and specialty. So that's a little bit of the Reader's Digest version. It could go a lot longer. So if you don't mind me asking, was your initial interest in the eating disorder field, was that based on any personal experience, like either with yourself or people that you knew, or was it more you noticing how, I guess, toxic the way that food was being talked about was to other people, or how did that interest kind of get sparked? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I would say it's a little bit of both. I have never personally had like a full-blown eating disorder, but I did very much fall into that good food, bad food mentality. And I really started seeing once once I graduated and even when I was in my supervised practice program to become an RD, I was teaching very much that way and educating patients in the hospital and clients in a community setting on hey, eat this, not that. This is good. This is bad. And I just kept seeing the toll that it took on the people I was working with and on me going like, okay, well, I need to only buy these foods. And there's a lot of guilt that comes up when you eat something and then you're like, oh, I don't think I'm supposed to eat this. And so I, I started feeling that a lot and I started seeing how ineffective those kind of conversations were and how guilt and shame inducing for the people that you know, that I wanted so badly to help and to help, you know, physically feel better. But I realized personally and professionally, like it is not worth sacrificing your mental health for the quote unquote pursuit of physical health because you can have both. It's really in the way that you approach food and your body. So there was definitely some aspects of both there. I think later I have always been really interested in control. <laughs> I think I would say I'm a recovering control freak. I have uh, certain areas of my life where 
I have given a lot, like I've let go of a lot of control. And then there's other areas where something will pop up and I'm like, oh, like I didn't quite have a handle on that. I feel like I need to. And so I noticed that a lot in a few different areas as, as an adult, like after graduating college and after I was already in the field, not all related to food or, you know, nutrition or the body, but I started feeling it more like there's, there's got to be something better than this because having that desire to control everything or that need or obligation leads to a lot of unhealthy or disordered behaviors in lots of different areas. That was a big thing for me that I had kind of a come to Jesus moment with the Lord on that. Um, and he was like, you, you've got to lay down control and trade it for surrender. That was a big lesson that I learned kind of the short version of that was with my journey through infertility when I was wanting to become a mom and I was really trying to control my body and the situation and who we talked about it to and what we prayed about. And it wasn't until I fully surrendered the whole process to the Lord and started being obedient to what he was calling me in with that, that we were actually able to start a family. I think we're both control freaks too. Yes. (laughs) And so I can definitely relate to feeling like you need to control everything and that your life is going to fall apart if you don't. And as a Christian, that's something that I try to work on. And I love the prayer that's like, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change because that's something that I always struggle with. And I'm sure that a lot of our listeners can relate to in any aspect of their life, wanting to be able to control what's happening. We both experience that everything happens for a reason. And that's something that we really try to encourage other people to keep an open mind about because from personal experience, things that seem like the end of the world can be blessings in disguise, I think. Yes. Oh, yes, that's so true. And it's so neat when you start looking for those, like when something difficult comes up and instead of going like, I just wish the situation would change or trying to like hurry right through it to go like, what can I learn from this? And then later to be able to say, wow, if I had not been through that, I wouldn't be now prepared for this other thing. So yeah, I think that's a really cool perspective. So you talked about how you had started working in an eating disorder treatment center, and then you eventually went to start your own private practice. And you also started your own podcast. And I was just wondering if you could tell us kind of what inspiration was to start your own company. And then I guess maybe some of the biggest challenges or unexpected things about starting your own business, especially being a female entrepreneur. So many, so many. (laughs) Yeah, I, going through school, I never imagined I would go into entrepreneurship. I also never had any idea how much I would love it. So I was in the treatment center setting for a while and I probably skipped a step earlier, but I had just come back from my second maternity leave and I wasn't even sure that I was going to come back because I loved what I did, but the type of work I did and the environment and the demand wasn't real conducive to the family life and the schedule that I was really hoping for. <laughs> and so I started praying into that and I, I felt this this tug to go into private practice, but I was so resistant because I was like, God, I don't know anything about business. I'm a ball flat on my face. And so um, I think the Lord kind of just beautifully orchestrated it where a friend of mine who was a therapist that I had previously worked with just one day called me or texted me out of the blue and was like, hey, we're starting up this new group practice and the owner is looking for a dietitian to come on staff. Would you be interested if I passed your information along? And I was like, yes, please do it. So I I ended up interviewing with them and kind of came on tentatively because it's a brand new business. Not all the paperwork and everything was finalized. The office wasn't open yet, but we had gone ahead and started seeing some clients. And so that kind of got my foot in the door to private practice. And I ended up not signing on an extended contract with them because there was a lot of, as incredible of an organization as it was and still is, there was a lot of restrictions that would have been on me. And I knew that I really wanted to lead a group. I already kind of had some plans in place for what I wanted to do with that. And there was just kind of a lot of red tape around it. And so that was kind of my like extra nudge from the Lord going, I told you to go into private practice for yourself. And you tried to sort of like backpedal your way and start a private practice, but I'm in a group. But I think For me, that was a good nudge and step down because I wouldn't have even put in my notice at my full-time place if I had not had something that felt more secure to start with. I kind of unwillingly, I guess, was kind of pushed into, okay, just open it yourself so that you can actually provide the services that you're being called to provide. So I did that. And the first thing I did was hire a business coach. (laughs) 
because <laughs> something something I hear from people who struggle with disordered eating, negative body image, all kinds of mental health struggles is, well, I feel like I should be able to do this on my own. And it's not to say that you're not capable of going through some of that healing process. But for me, I am not willing for it to take years and years and years and so much stress for me to try to figure something out on my own. And there are so many people who have gone before me that know what they're doing. For me, I was like, I need somebody who is in the nutrition business, who is practicing virtually or doing online business, because that's what I was planning to do. And that was one of the best decisions that I could have made. And same with the podcast. When I got into the podcast, kind of what pulled me into that was within my practice, I had a lot of opportunities to do some speaking. And so when I got a chance to do some guesting on some podcasts, this is something that my business mentor at the time had mentioned. She was like, there's lots of different ways that you can teach and provide services for those maybe who can't always afford it, or maybe who's, who need to get to know you a little bit before they're willing to say like, Hey, this is the right fit for me. I'm never one that's going to just try to convince somebody to work with me because I want to make sure that it's a good fit from both sides. But yet I wanted to serve more people than, than people who I knew had capacity for it. I started um, kind of sending some pitches to different podcasts and saying, Hey, I would love to serve your audience. If you're interested in these areas, I just found a love for it. So I'm a bit of a podcast junkie. I love listening to podcasts. I listen to, to most of them on like 1.5 to 2x speed because I don't know, I listen quickly, I guess. And I just really fell in love with audio learning. I probably did that for two years. I didn't start my podcast until January of 2023. I did the same thing. I brought on somebody who had already podcasted before, who was a virtual assistant has her own podcast and does podcast management and editing. And I was like, I'm not going to try to learn this and take a whole lot longer than I need to, or I don't have the time to figure out all of the editing from the get go um, or the launching of a podcast. And so that was something that, that I did. And she is fantastic. Um, <laughs> she edits the vast majority of my podcast, unless I throw in a bonus episode here or there. And so I, I love being able to serve through a podcast. That's great. I really love that because we both are podcast junkies too. And she listens at 1.5 yeah. and she'll sometimes we'll be in the car together and she turns on a podcast and I'm like, what's wrong with this? But then I remember that it's on the faster speed. But I think that it's just really great to be able to have resources like podcasts that whether someone can't afford personal services or I know that eating disorders for some people can be a really scary topic. So being able to listen from the privacy of anonymity, is that a word? Yeah. <laughs> or if they don't have time in their schedule, but they can listen on their way to work or while they're going for a walk or something, I think is just really great. I was just going to say pretty much the same thing. I think that that's such a great way to just be able to serve more people and get the information out there because I'm sure that it really just helps a ton of people to be able to hear your advice and your expertise about food and eating disorders and stuff because like Aspen said, I think that there are just a lot of reasons people might not be able to seek personal help. I mean, personally, I learn a ton from podcasts. Yeah, they're, they're very practical because mm -hmm. I know, I feel like in our culture and society today, we, we do get so busy oftentimes and being able to listen to something while you're doing a task, maybe that's a little more mundane or doesn't always require a ton of focus, being able to learn and utilize, utilize that time to, to grow or to develop or to, you know, find a new skill. So yeah, I think it's a really fun way to, to educate, but also to, you know, tell stories and get connected to people. So it's been such a fun way for me to connect. Like I wouldn't probably have gotten connected with you guys otherwise, you know, if we weren't podcasting and I've met some incredible people and um, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool tool. I was wondering if you feel like your podcast also reaches people who might not be, might not even be aware that they have a disordered relationship with food. And if they're, I mean, there might be listeners listening to this who are like, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have an eating disorder. I'm not a faithful person or what have you. But I think that from my perspective, there's a lot of, I guess, there's a lot of stigma around eating disorders, but I feel like so many people, even if they don't have a diagnosed eating disorder, they don't necessarily have a healthy relationship with food. Do you have anything to say to people who might be like, this doesn't apply to me? Is it possible for someone to heal their relationship with food, even if they don't have like a medically diagnosed eating disorder? Yes, to all of the above. I would be very comfortable saying that 
99 to 100% of people this conversation is going to be relevant for because the vast majority of my clients currently don't have diagnosed eating disorders, Mm -hmm. but they all have some sort of disordered eating behavior. So the difference being um, an eating disorder requires you to meet a certain set of criteria for certain types of behaviors and the severity and how frequently it happens. But I bet if I pulled a hundred people off the street and pulled all of them, 90 to 95 of them would struggle with at least one body image or unhealthy disorder type of behavior. Because a disordered behavior can be anything from like dieting, yo-yo dieting, restricting yourself physically or mentally with food. So when I say mentally, like telling yourself, I can't have that, that's bad, I shouldn't have that. And then when you eat it, having that sense of guilt or shame. Guilt meaning like, I feel like I did something wrong. Or shame being like, I'm bad because I did this. Transferring from like, I see the food this way, so if I eat the bad food, now I'm bad. If you have a tendency to allow the label with the size on a, in your pant, um, on, you know, on your jeans or your shirt to affect the way you feel about your body or yourself that day, or maybe it's your reflection, or maybe it's that number that shows up on the scale and it makes you say, I think I need to eat differently today, or, um, I don't feel good enough or something's got to change. There's usually some sort of unhealthy mindset or behavior that you may not struggle with all the time. But when those things pop up, it doesn't mean you have an eating disorder or a full-blown even disordered relationship with food. But when those things come up, we need to know how to deal with them. And sometimes even bigger than that, if we don't have the awareness, then I can pretty much guarantee that anybody listening knows somebody that has this struggle, even if you have no idea. So many people struggle, even just if we think about just women as a whole, I I could maybe name, I may not even be able to name five women that I know of that are just totally confident and comfortable with who they are in their body all the time, right? Like we all probably had those moments where we're like, eh, I don't really love, you know, what I see in the mirror today or, oh, I wish this is a little different and that's okay, but if we don't have the awareness around how we speak about food, how we speak about our bodies, and we, we make comments, even if it's just about ourselves, they affect the people around us. I've had so many clients that their eating disorder or just their disordered behavior, their diet even, in an attempt to get healthier, they started some sort of different diet, made a change, started because they heard someone else either compliment them on their body changing. And then they felt like, okay, well, I wasn't getting compliments before. Somebody said I looked smaller today. So smaller equals, you know, love. Now I have to continue to lose or maintain the small size or someone talking about their diet and saying, well, I'm on such and such diet, so I can't have this, though that's fat or that's off limits. And then someone else close to them going, I can't eat that in front of them now. I feel guilty. So just having some awareness, even if you don't struggle with it yourself or on a regular basis, is invaluable because you never know how your words could impact or your actions could impact the people around you who could very likely be struggling. Yeah, I think that's really important because it just seems like it's so ingrained in our culture that dieting is good and being skinny is good and losing weight is good and restricting your food is good. And I think that pretty much everyone we know, we've heard people make comments all the time about I'm eating too much. I need to stop eating. I shouldn't have eaten that. I don't eat this. This is bad. Or they're like tracking all of their food that they eat. And sometimes it seems like it just takes up so much space in people's lives that I feel like most people don't even realize that it's unhealthy. And I mean, not to like put anybody down because it seems like in our culture that's praised and that's a good thing. But I think that it's just good for people to hear a different perspective that they don't have to have that kind of relationship with food and they can make room in their lives for so many better things than worrying about what they're eating or feeling guilt or shame about it. Because really at the end of the day, it's just food and food is supposed to nourish you and keep you healthy. And it's not something that should cause so much stress. And I feel like it does for so many people. In my opinion, it's just really not worth it. Yeah. And I hear that, that type of comment regularly is like, well, I I have to control what I eat in order to keep my body a certain way, or I can't control myself around that food. If that, if I keep that food in the house, like I'm going to eat the whole thing. That is a perfect example of a disordered relationship with food. Because if there's something in your house 
that or out and about or even if it's like a special holiday occasion and there's some food that you feel totally out of control around and you're like if I start eating it I won't stop then food has some sort of control over you and so that is one thing that I specialize in with a lot of my clients is let's get you back to the place where food doesn't have that emotional that intensive emotional control over you because you can enjoy that food and it's possible for you to enjoy that food in a way that still leaves you mentally and physically feeling great afterwards. Obviously with the exception of like a food allergy. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm never going to encourage someone who's allergic to peanuts to be like, well, let's just test this out. You know, you can totally have that. So it's a matter of how do we get all foods to be not just morally neutral, but like kind of emotionally neutral, right? Like you can get excited to have a meal, but you don't want that food to drive this intensive emotional response to the point where like you either have to, attempt to abstain from it or you're just like I'm gonna go all in if that's something that someone listening is struggling with like there's room to grow in that doesn't mean you have an eating disorder necessarily it just means like hey there's freedom that you can get around that so that you can still enjoy that food in a way that is actually enjoyable yeah I love that I always joke that eating vegetables almost killed me because I like my health journey started with that I gave up processed foods for Lent one year so then when people are like I wish cake was as healthy as fruit, or I wish I wanted to eat carrot sticks the way I want to eat candy. I just think that, like you said, having food be neutral, I think is important because, yeah, of course, carrot sticks and fruit are healthy. And if you never eat them, then that might be a problem. But if you never eat the chocolate cake, then that can also be a problem. And so I think that all food has some nutritional value and all food is healthy at different times I guess even trying to move away from labeling food as unhealthy or healthy but just this is what my body is telling me it needs right now I think is an important outlook yeah all all food can be beneficial obviously again with those like medical exceptions right of food Mm -hmm. allergies or other things um sometimes the benefit it's all going to have some sort of nutritional benefit right like it's going to give you something. Now, yes, some foods are more nutrient dense than others. You get more nutritional bang for your buck with some things, but sometimes the purpose of food isn't always for nourishment or like for intensive nourishment, right? Like there's a huge difference in, okay, I, my body does need, you know, some fiber right now and it needs some vitamins and minerals because I haven't had much today. So maybe you choose something like a side salad or you choose something that has a little bit more color in it to go alongside something else at lunch, but kind of To your point as well, if I ate carrots and apples all day, I would be extremely protein deficient, fat deficient. I wouldn't be able to have kids. My hormones would be wonky. My muscles would be destroying themselves. Like that's not healthy either. And so the nutritional benefit, yes, we want to look for that in foods too, but we don't have to only that cliche saying like eat to live, don't live to eat. There's like a messy middle in between where you can actually find some joy in eating without feeling stressed about food. So we don't want to just eat to live either because there's not satisfaction and enjoyment in that. We don't have to have taste buds, right? Like you can survive on a feeding tube, you can survive on IV nutrition, but we have taste buds for a reason. And also I think that food plays such a big part in our culture in just things like a birthday party or Christmas dinner or things that where you can just enjoy food because that's part of life and not necessarily that, oh, I probably don't need to eat birthday cake today, but it's my sister's birthday. So I'm going to, because that's fun. And why would I be left out? Also, when, like you said, the eat to live, don't live to eat. I think that there are parts of life where you can just eat for fun and not just because you need to. Yeah. There are different types of hunger. We have physical or biological hunger where our body is signaling, hey, your energy levels are low or hey, your blood sugar is getting low. And so there is that type of hunger where you might feel it in your stomach or you might start might start getting tired or lightheaded or taking longer to get your sentences together. There's tons of tons of signs and symptoms outside of just a stomach growling that we're physically hungry. But there's also things just like you, like you just mentioned, Ashley, that's like taste hunger. So when you are out on a date or with your family and maybe you've had dinner, but you go by, you know, this ice cream or dessert shop and you smell the fudge on the inside or the fresh waffle cones, you can still have some of that, right? You want to have the awareness, the body awareness on, okay, my fullness level, I'm at like a 70% right now. 
So I want to enjoy this, but I also am aware of my capacity and I don't want to feel uncomfortable afterwards. So you may not be hungry, but you may say this is an opportunity for enjoyment or, you know, I'm at a wedding and I've had dinner, but I would really love a slice of cake to celebrate with the bride and groom. You don't have to follow that rule that you only eat when you're hungry and you have to stop when you're full because that can get really disordered too, physically and mentally. So there's this opportunities for honoring your hunger outside of just physical cues. So we've talked a lot about why it's important to have freedom with food and some of the traps that are easy to fall into. But I wanted to also, because I'm sure some of our listeners are probably like, okay, I understand, but what can I do about it? What originally got me interested in speaking with you is that you did a podcast about how religion plays into diet culture a little bit. And specifically your episode was about gluttony. And that really hit home to me because um, I think a lot of our listeners have probably read my story, but when I started college, I grew a lot in my faith and I wanted to be closer to God. And I felt like in my church and in my Bible study, I just kept hearing about people saying that they were eating too much and they felt like they were filling the hole where God was absent with food instead of with God or that it gluttony is a sin and it's a mortal sin. So, or one of the seven deadly sins. Yeah, seven deadly sins. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize that this was such a big deal. And I just eat whatever I want whenever I want. And I really need to challenge myself to get closer with God and like show that I'm growing in my faith. So I was like, I'm going to give up all processed foods for Lent and that's going to be really hard. And then I will be a lot closer to God. Instead, I lost a lot of weight and then kind of got into this hole that I couldn't get out of. It caused a lot of health issues and a really long recovery journey. And I felt like it really damaged my relationship with food for a long time, going through recovery and treatment that was problematic, I think. And so I would love if you could just share a little bit, I guess, about your outlook on how scripture is sometimes skewed or misrepresented and then how you kind of encourage clients to see it as nourishing your body as an act of faith rather than restricting food as an act of faith. I love, I love this question and I love this topic because unfortunately in, in my field, Now, especially now that I'm in private practice and I feel like I have a greater level of awareness than I used to when it comes to different, I don't know, dietitians, health coaches, fitness providers, a lot of people in the health and wellness industry that, that say like, Hey, I'm a Christian or I'm going to operate, you know, as a Christ-centered practice, but to also see like how much of scripture gets taken out of context that they try to use as a biblical foundation for why, you know, they're taking a certain approach. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus or say like, you're wrong, you're wrong, because the way we read scripture is very individual. The three of us could probably all pull a scripture and maybe all take something a little bit different from it. And so I think it really comes down to when you are reading scripture. For me, I'm not a theologian, but there's been a lot of different scriptures that I have seen dramatically taken out of context. And I kind of use the term cherry picking, right? Like this verse was just kind of plucked out people may have an idea about what they think is a really helpful way to care for your physical health and say, can I find a scripture that seems like it backs this up? And so maybe they find one scripture that sounds like this kind of speaks to it and they, they go, okay, well, here's what scripture says. So here's now what it means. There's a lot of fancy terminology for, <laughs> for that, um, for like trying to apply scripture to your own opinion. Whereas my approach, and I, I talk about this a little bit in that, I think it was our very first episode the joy-filled eater, where I did the episode on gluttony and my approach in interpreting scripture and trying to learn from it is lay what I think aside and look at what scripture says, read it in context. And a helpful rule of thumb for me, if somebody mentions a verse specifically, like one or two verses is at the least read about 10 verses before and 10 after Mm -hmm. to try to get some sort of context clues on, is this verse really saying what someone originally thinks? it's talking about. So like the, the verse about honoring your body, a lot of people use that to, to talk about how, well, we have to eat this way and this way and this way. But when you look at it in context, it's about sexual sin. <laughs> it has nothing to do with food or nutrition. And so I like to go through and see what does a scripture say in context? What's it referring to? And then I find it, I'm a little bit of a nerd sometimes when I start studying what something says. And so I like to go back 
and use use other books that show me like what is the original word mean like in the Hebrew for the Old Testament or the Greek for the New was it translated really accurately or what was the the process for coming up with this and so in that first episode of the Joyful Leader I pulled a couple of different words that are translated in English as gluttony or as, you know, overeating or overindulgence. But when you look back at the original language, it doesn't mean the same thing that we think when we see or hear the word gluttony. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important. If you've ever had some like spiritual abuse or you've ever read scripture or someone has tried to say what you're doing is wrong because of what this says. First thing I think is to go, okay, Lord, give me some wisdom in this. Help me to know, is this... Uh, criticism or is this feedback something really worth considering and looking into and if so help me see like what does your word really say about this I'm not going to sit here and say I know exactly like, every time I read scripture I'm interpreting it exactly how it was meant to be you got to seek a lot of wisdom personally in that see where else does this particular word or phrase or passage show up what are the other verses related to it so that you can really take things again not just in context with where they are but does this same truth apply throughout scripture? Or was this maybe like an example of something, right? Was it like part of a parable that was told or a metaphor versus something accurate or logical? That's kind of how I approach it to go. Let's don't just, <laughs> let's don't just Google and see what is, uh, what's the answer to this one issue and what does scripture have to say about it? Like if you start seeing the same kind of answer throughout scripture and used in context in the same way, you're probably on the right track. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you giving that advice and not even telling us this is what it means, but just giving people the tools to figure it out for themselves. And because I'm sure everyone has their own pieces of scripture that they maybe have misinterpreted or want to know what they mean. And so I think it's hopefully really helpful for people to have that tool to interpret it for themselves and not just feel like they keep being told different things that it means and they're not sure what to believe, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Nobody can be your Bible for you. I absolutely love and appreciate the wisdom, even that I hear from my own pastor, mm -hmm. but it's still up to me as an individual to go, okay, Lord, is this accurate? What does scripture say about it? And to not just filter what I think through someone else's interpretation, but to go back and study it for myself and ask for wisdom and understanding it. So for our listeners who might be thinking that they maybe want to change the relationship with food, but they're probably not going to go, you know, quit dieting cold turkey after listening to this interview or anything. Yeah. What are some steps that they can take to start to find some freedom from diet culture and find a little bit of joy with eating, I guess, baby steps towards having a better relationship with food? Yeah, love that question. So the very first thing that I would say is super practical for anybody, but takes a lot of intentionality is mm -hmm. that language shift from going like, let me just start paying attention to and recognizing when I'm using the words healthy or unhealthy, talking about food or a behavior or that's bad, that's good. This is um, clean. This is junk. Like Just noticing when you're using that language and instead of saying, okay, is this food healthy or is it unhealthy? when you're trying to decide like what to eat or what you think about a food to go back to that concept we were talking about earlier to say, how might this food benefit me right now? Is it beneficial or to what degree? And so instead of going, okay, is this hamburger healthy to go, okay, how might this be beneficial for me right now? I'll give you an example. Maybe like, maybe I had some cereal for breakfast that morning and I go, I haven't really had any protein today other than maybe the milk that my cereal was in, right? It has some protein, very, you know, a little bit because I'm not going to use a whole ton of milk for cereal. So I might go, okay, well, this hamburger is going to give me some protein. It's also going to give me some fat to help the fat-soluble vitamins in my lettuce and tomato, you know, get absorbed. And maybe in the sweet potato fries or something, I love sweet potato fries. So without that fat, you don't get all those incredible vitamins that kind of go to waste, right? So that might be a couple of things. You get some carbohydrate that helps your brain and helps every cell of your body have energy. So that can help you from the nutritional standpoint to go, okay, how could it benefit me? But then to also go, okay, well, I'm getting to go out and eat lunch with a friend. And so it's also providing a medium or an opportunity to socially connect with someone, right? Or I haven't really had any enjoyable food today. So this is going to give me that opportunity to have satisfaction. And typically, unless you have a really 
um, strained relationship with food or maybe a specific food that feels like a trigger of some sort. A lot of times when we feel really satisfied as we eat from an enjoyment standpoint and a fullness standpoint, we're less likely to overeat. I think that's one simple step, like shift that language from healthy, unhealthy, good, bad to how could this benefit me? Or even just use a neutral word, right? It's not good or bad. It's just food. It's not clean or junk. It's just food. And I think that's just a really simple place to start. I think that's really great advice. I mean, I'm sure it's easier said than done, especially when you have so much ingrained in you of thinking of food as good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. But I think that that is super helpful for people to just start trying to change the way that they think about it. I hope that our listeners will try that new step today and just see if it helps them and if it feels good. And I guess just quickly going off of that, I know earlier you talked about some people feeling a lot of guilt around food. If somebody feels like they did overeat or something like that, how can they deal with that feeling of guilt? Because I think that's something that happens and I don't want anyone to be listening to this and be like, oh, well, I wasn't satisfied and then I did overeat, so I'm bad or I didn't do what I was supposed to do or I don't know, anything like that. Yeah, so so a great place to start with that is to recognize, like, in order for you to be guilty of something, it means you did something wrong, right? Like, you broke a law, you did something immoral, but food, because food is not moral, it has no moral values, right? Like, my hamburger can't go vandalize my mailbox, my salad can't run a stop sign. So there's no morality there. And so if you look at those instances, specifically like of overeating or eating something that didn't make you feel well afterwards, instead of going, I did something bad or I should feel guilty, to look at each eating experience as an opportunity just to information gather, just be a neutral observer. This is kind of what we call in the sort of intuitive eating realm, like the food anthropologist, meaning you're not making judgments, you're just gathering information Mm -hmm. and you're using that to make your decision for next time. So if you feel overly full, then to be able to go, okay, I, I ate this way or at this speed. Sometimes it's not even the volume. Sometimes it's how fast we eat. I ate this food or this amount or whatever it was. I don't feel good. And then to go, was this a pleasant or unpleasant or neutral eating experience? Well, this was kind of unpleasant. Okay, so I'll just remember this for next time. There's no judgment about what I did. It's just noticing. It didn't really feel good. I think I'm going to try something different next time. And so the trying something different might mean a different food. It might mean a different volume. It might mean I'm going to try to slow down and just looking at it as an experiment and a time to gather information in order to make a decision that will help you feel better the next time. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I hope that people can really take that advice to heart and be able to start changing their outlook because everybody has to eat. And I think that life can be much more enjoyable if food can be seen as an enjoyable or at least neutral experience. And I love that you're podcast is called The Joyful Eater because I, I just really love that idea of people not just seeking a healthy relationship with food, but being able to find joy. You might as well live life finding joy from as many things as you can. We have a couple questions that we always like to ask all of our guests at the end, but before we get to those, do you have anything that you wanted to share or anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap up? I would just say if you've listened to this conversation and you feel like, hey, maybe I do have a less healthy relationship with food than I thought, like number one, just give yourself grace and know that you are not alone in that process. I promise like 80, 90, 95% of people listening are going to have something that they can work on. And so it is not defeat. It is not failure. It is not weak to ask for some help. You don't have to meet eating disorder criteria in order to experience greater levels of food freedom or to deserve help. That would be my encouragement. Give yourself grace and then seek out, seek out some, some help because there's a lot of room for growth there. And if people wanted to hear more from you or get help from you, where should they look? Yeah, um, a great place to reach me is through the podcast. So the Joy-Filled Eater podcast. Um, We usually have episodes go out at least once a week. We're in a series right now where we're doing two episodes a week on uh, gentle nutrition. And then you can always connect with me on my website as well at BrittanyBraswellRD.com. There's a some really great free resources there if you want an easy way to get started. I've got some um, some quiz style assessments, an ebook, lots of things there that you can check out. And you can always touch base with me on Instagram as well at Brittany Braswell RD. Awesome. We just have two really quick questions that we ask everybody at the end. 
The first one is, do you have a favorite inspirational quote that you like to turn to? Oh, you know what? Um, I think with keeping with our theme sort of today, I wish I knew where I heard this. I've been saying it for years, but if the pursuit of health is causing you stress and anxiety, then it is no longer a healthy pursuit. I, I love that reminder because on I think one of you guys said it earlier, like eating shouldn't cause us stress. And if we're trying to improve our health, if it's creating more stress, then we're creating more health issues. So you got to pursue, pursue health in a way that's not stressing you out. <laughs> yeah, that's great for yeah, sure. I like that. Um, and then our last question is, since our podcast is called Twinspiration, if you could have an identical twin, would you want one? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I have thought about this before. I used to say yes all the time because I, we do have a set of twins in my family. My grandfather's sisters are twins. It's really fun to get to see them and I can tell them apart now. But when I was younger, I couldn't because they're identical. I, I think the only reason I would say now as an adult <laughs> that... Maybe not now, but I loved it. I wanted that for years as a kid. I think I've just become so independent. And my sister, I do have a younger sister that we get told we look alike a lot. And uh, I think it would be so fun to have somebody to argue with. I always wanted to like have somebody to trade places with when we would watch um, uh, like The Parent Trap and all those movies. (laughs) And I think now as an adult, I'm so opinionated and so like, not I want it my way, but like this is what I think about something. I I think I would probably argue probably more with a twin than I would with anybody else. I don't know if that's, you guys seem like y'all get along super well, but I don't know. I really enjoy my independence and I feel like I'd be curious to see what that would look like. But I always, always as a kid was like, this would be the coolest thing ever. We would trade places in classes. Nobody would know which one was which. So I think being a twin is awesome. And I love that you guys do this show together. I think that's so special. Thank you. Yeah, we we get along most of the time, but we definitely, we definitely have our moments. Yeah, <laughs> we are also both very independent and opinionated, but usually we have the same opinion, so then it's all good, but like it can get a little messy sometimes. Yes, well, I still like being able to do that with a sister, so I imagine it would probably be sort of similar from a twin standpoint versus just a sister, so uh, I love that. That's cool that you guys have that kind of relationship. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking so much time and talking with us. I think this was a really great conversation, and I think that our listeners will take a lot away from it. And I think we learned a lot from listening to you, um, so we really appreciate you taking so much time to talk with us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Of course. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you to you guys, too. Bye. Bye.